throat punch Thursday. It comes in hot. So it took me 16 years to be properly diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, so that was 16 years of chasing a diagnosis, always being ill, you know, 16 years of going to the doctor and then making me feel like I was crazy. Then I was like, maybe I am crazy. And then it was all of these, you know, quote unquote, air quote, crazy symptoms happening to my body. So 16 years of that finally got my conventional medicine diagnosis. And it was kind of like, ah, the breath of fresh air. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. We're speaking on a condition today, endometriosis, and it's one that hasn't really been brought up at all before. I think it's been brought up as maybe one of the many conditions that an individual dealt with, and then we kind of moved on to the rest of the podcast. But in today's episode, we're going to be focusing on it exclusively. And I always have so much to learn. It's kind of crazy. It's humbling, too, when you're in this space. There is never not more to learn. I was shocked by how many women deal with this on a regular basis, and if you ever wanted to nerd out on a topic and learn something new that's, again, kind of complicated and nerdy otherwise, this is the place to do it. Dr. LJ, our guest today, is an absolute powerhouse of a presenter and speaker. It was super fun to do this with her, so I think you guys are going to like it. I'll read her bio here, and then we'll jump right into it. Dr. LJ Johnson specializes in endometriosis and hormones while utilizing holistic functional medicine. Dr. LJ has worked in the women's health industry for over 25 years while overcoming her own diagnosis of endometriosis. LJ's passion is to empower, motivate, and educate all women so they too can have quality of life despite their symptoms or diagnosis. We are very lucky to have Dr. LJ as a certified FDN practitioner as well. Without further ado, let's get to today's episode. All right. Hello there, Dr. LJ, and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast. I can already tell this is going to be, we got some high energy here between both of us, so it's going to be a great show. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad that we're able to connect. Yeah. I'm always particularly impressed when someone with your background, as the audience just heard, also has uh, the FDNP certification. And at the same time, when people are listening, sometimes they see this on our website and they're interested in the cert. Um, I don't want it to intimidate you, right? We have people like myself. I was a health coach before this, got into this, had no formal degrees in anything, maybe tougher uh, for me than you know someone with more of a background, mm -hmm. but it's a figure outable thing. Uh, but I think it says a lot that we have this diversity here of backgrounds. It's really, really cool. Um, so with with that said, and I'm not 100% sure on this yet, typically our guests on the show have some type of personal experience that led to them doing the work that they do. Uh, but very often I find people with your credentials, it could be hit or miss. So my first question is, did you have health symptoms that kind of led to a shift in thinking to get into the space? The, the hit or miss is going to be a strong hit over here. <laughs> 
a strong throat punch Thursday. It comes in hot. So it took me 16 years to be properly diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, So that was 16 years of chasing a diagnosis, always being ill, you know, 16 years of going to the doctor and then making me feel like I was crazy. Then I was like, maybe I am crazy. And then it was all of these, you know, quote unquote, air quote, crazy symptoms happening to my body. So 16 years of that finally got my conventional medicine diagnosis. And it was kind of like, ah, the breath of fresh air, right? Like now the medical community is telling me I'm not crazy. Yet I was told the same answers of like, okay, you know, you fought for this diagnosis. Do you want to go back on the pain pills and the birth control? And it was kind of like, well, that wasn't really working for me, Um, which is what led me to all these additional certifications because I felt like conventional medicine did really good about getting me the diagnosis. But as far as getting in the driver's seat of my health and having actual quality of life, that's one part that I did not have. Okay. So this was going on and I mean, it, it is uh, validating. That's kind of the word. So I love what you said. Like you get the diagnosis and there's actually something good about that in a mm-hmm. certain way, because for those that are listening, they totally get this. We're going through these experiences. I'll, I'll tell you this, diagnoses aren't fun, but it's even less fun to know that something's wrong with you and no one can actually tell you or give you a name to what it is. It's scary. And I, I think you bring uh, shed some light for a lot of people when you say you felt like you were crazy and started to actually believe that I have definitely been there, especially since a lot of my background was mental health stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You genuinely can get tricked into thinking, oh, I'm the problem here. Something's really wrong with me. And I would assume very often that is just not the case. I, I don't know if any cases actually exist like that. So you finally get the diagnosis. You're thinking outside the box. Did you already have um, kind of any proclivity towards natural medicine or was this going to be the first time you dove into it? So I had, it's very interesting. It's like that kind of like that certification we get for ourselves with Dr. Google, right? You've done so much self-research, like you're doing conventional and then, you know, you're delving a little into the natural realm. But I think for me, it came to where I had to make a shift. And for it just as honestly, as I, as I stutter trying to think of the right words to put it, I am huge on practicing what I preach. And what happened is, is I was traveling the world telling people, you know, the way to balance your hormones and have a healthy body was to do the aesthetic stuff, right? We're going to over-exercise, we're going to under-eat. And that was all fine and great when it was working for me, right? And then there's that humbling moment where you show it at a convention and someone's congratulating you on being pregnant and you're like, so thank you, but no thank you, I'm not expecting But this is what it's called to be, you know, endometriosis when I'm super bloated. And yes, I packed on a bunch of weight. So then I'm like, also like, that's weird because today I'm supposed to be giving a speech about how I'm supposed to eat six meals of chicken breast and broccoli. And that's going to make everyone healthy. Clearly, it's not working for me as I just got congratulated on a birth that's not even a thing, right? Like that's how much weight I put on. So as I started to shift in my career, I had to make that shift in my personal life. And that's really where like I too started off in mental health. And then I figured out, you know, mental health was great. I had that strong foundation. I had the aesthetic part down with the physical fitness and the exercising and the nutrition. But there was this huge piece missing, as I always say, to get in the driver's seat of my health. Like I knew to take a couple, take a couple vitamins to be, you know, to take supplements, to be what's healthy, you know, to eat clean. But with endometriosis, you know, eating clean and doing the run of the mill nutrition and diet, it's not enough. And so that's really where I had to put my entire life on hold, put my practice on hold, go back and do a lot of retraining because I just was like, what I'm doing is not working. And I don't want to continue to travel the world, essentially lying to people, you know, telling them like, hey, this is what's going to make you healthy when I'm hiding in plain sight and it's not even working for me any longer. 
Well, fair enough for at least being willing to open your mind uh, to do something different because there's plenty of people that go through similar things and they don't do that. I actually asked uh, probably 100 episodes ago, Dr. Kieran Dunstan, she was talking about how she had this experience led her to being open to more natural stuff. And Dr. Dunstan's a little blunt, right? So I asked her, I said, what do we need to do to get Western medicine more on board with this? She said, Evan, you're not going to get them on board. They need to go through their own stuff first. And I, I don't know if it's just that that dark and um, there's no a light at the end of the tunnel. But it was telling, I think, a lot of us, including normal people that don't have these backgrounds, kind of mm-hmm. need to have these experiences before we start thinking outside of the box. Um, one question really quick, and I don't mean to break this down so foundationally for you, because I know you're at a different level, but we do get a large diversity of backgrounds on the podcast, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. even for the FDN certification. Can we just talk about really quick, like, how do we define endometriosis? What are the typical symptoms that someone's dealing with? I, I should have done that at the beginning. No, I love it. And I was going to bring it up eventually. Those foundations, because endometriosis, most of the time when people think of it, they're like, oh, the people with the period problem, the girl that calls into work every month. Yes, there may be some menstruation issues, but yes, I think it's really good to define endometriosis. Um, I know a lot of people are like supercala. I know it's a long word. (laughs) So endometriosis, short, we could just say endo, E-N-D-O. So endometriosis is uterine-like tissue found outside of the uterus. That's the biggest one. I'm going to say it again because that pushes that misconception of it's period pain. It's a uterine issue. So it's uterine-like tissue found outside of the uterus. It causes chronic systemic inflammation throughout your entire body. So when I say outside of the uterus, you can have lesions in your shoulder, in your sinuses, in your knee, on your bowel, on your bladder. It is uterine-like tissue found anywhere outside of the uterus, chronic systemic inflammation throughout the entire body. Those endometriosis lesions not only cause pain and inflammation at the the, um, site of the lesion, but they inflame everything around it, right? So you've got all of that going on. Those endometriosis lesions create their own hormones. So they're bringing in their own progesterone. They're creating their own estrogen. And then to make it even the more super exciting and complicated at the same time, autoimmune-like factors, right? So when we take all that into consideration, yes, there may be a hormonal component. It may exasperate your cycle, cause infertility, et cetera. But outside of the issues that it wrecks kind of in the womb wellness area, it is a disease that is causing inflammation throughout your entire body. Wow. Okay. Well, and that's why I like appreciate you doing the foundational for me because I learned something just in that, right? I'm like, wow, I did not know that that could be throughout literally the entire body. That's kind of crazy to think about. So for someone like you, who's obviously well more well uh, more well versed than the average person and you kind of got tricked by this for all these years what is like just an estimate how many people do you think have this or would it meet the diagnostic criteria but they have no idea that they're actually dealing with this condition right, right. so the research right now says one in ten now I am always I'm okay to push the envelope just a little bit anyone that knows me I'm like I'll push back really quick I honestly think it's way more than one in 10. When I go to conferences, when I'm out and about here in Arizona, I'm meeting people, you know, we're talking about what we do. Everyone seems to either have a diagnosis of endometriosis or they thought they had it, but they couldn't get the doctor to believe them and actually get the diagnosis, right? So research says one in 10. I really and truly feel it's closer to five in 10, six to 10. Lots of people are walking around undiagnosed. And this is why I'll talk about some of the symptoms because some of the symptoms are very, you know, right in your face. You know, you have abdominal pain. You're having a lot of bloating, Um, not the cute bloating. There's nothing cute about bloating, but not the bloating where you're like, oh, I'll just put on a baggy t-shirt for the day. I'll put on, you know how it goes, ladies. You're like, I'll just wear my leggings today, jeggings. 
This is the bloating where your stomach is distended. It is hot to touch. Like heat is generating from your womb wellness area. We're talking about, you know, debilitating periods sometimes, those murder scene periods where you're running back and forth to the bathroom. You're having to stay at home for a few days, right? Because you're not able to manage your cycle and still go to work. Um, Debilitating pain, nerve pain, sciatic pain, but there's also things like bleeding outside of the cycle. And so for some women, they're kind of like, oh, you know, I always have two periods a month or, you know, I always have the crazy bleeding. That's my thing. And then they haven't went and gotten the information from their doctor to see if there's something deeper or they took it to their doctor. And as soon as they said period problem, their doctor's like, oh, they just need some birth control. And it kind of got swept under the rug. So a a lot of people, I think it says the average right now, the research says eight to 10 years to get a diagnosis of endometriosis. Um, and then especially in the brown and black community, I'd say even 12 to 15 years wow. of just chasing down the diagnosis. And that's really just part of the journey because then it's then getting the diagnosis and then deciding like, what do I need to do to get quality of life? And I think for me, what I was doing to get quality of life was kind of the same options I was doing before and they weren't working for me, right? There were days that I'd wake up on the bathroom floor because I had passed out, you know, days that I'd be on the news, which is where I kind of started calling myself out, right? I'm giving five tips to be healthy. You know, I'm on the news in Denver and then the next morning I'm calling a neighbor to have them pick my children up and get, you know, from school or come over and get them dressed because the disease was really running rampant in my body and, you know, just eating clean and over-exercising and all those things weren't really healing my hormones or allowing me to have quality of life. I loved, I going back a little bit and kind of what you just said, I loved that you mentioned this whole, the six meal a day thing, work out harder. And I never want to be the person. And I know this is definitely not you. I don't want to be the person that sounds like a victim with it, but it really is annoying, man, because people are always just like, well, you got to work out harder, wake up earlier. Yeah. And they've never dealt with the chronic illness. I'm like, I, I promise you, I am, I'm not David Goggins, but I'm a mentally strong person, right? When you pu- do push through that, you wake up and you go do it mm-hmm. and then you get the flu afterwards. Every time that you do it, or you got to go sleep in the middle of the day because you cannot recover from that stuff. I mean, pushing is great in life. There's a time mm-hmm. and place for all of that. If you, especially if you want to achieve something, there's always going to be a time in our lives where we got to give it a little extra. But I think there just needs to be so much more awareness on everybody, everybody, right? Has different capacities. And depending mm-hmm. on where it's at in the disease state, you can't just keep pushing indefinitely. That doesn't really work like that. So um, that's interesting that you yeah. say that because especially with females I work with, right? We carry this cape is the analogy I use, right? We have this cape, we're running around, we're saving everyone, right? We're saving our partner, we're saving our children, we're being this hero, and then we don't want to take the cape off. And so when our cycle comes and our hormones go up and down, when we're not able to be super, like right before our cycle, when we need to be really replenishing our body, then we're like, what's wrong with me? I'm broken, you know, or if you're managing a debilitating illness, you're not able to wear that cape and save everyone else. And if so, then you're not putting that energy into yourself. But it is definitely a shift in mindset. I think maybe before it was easier. And I think it was interesting that we say this because I was having a conversation earlier this week and it was about, you know, doing the six meals a day and all that. And I'm like, maybe that just worked in our twenties, you know, before our liver was more clogged up and we didn't have all these toxic burdens. But now I'm looking at the fitness industry and I'm working with lots of people that, you know, they're on stage and they've got the 2% body fat and they're doing all this rigorous fitness. But at the end of the day, now they have all this unexplained fertility. They're in, you know, they're in menopause in their thirties. And so, I think there's also something to be said with all of that exercising and restrictive eating, what it's really done to our hormones in a long-term stance. Well, and it goes to show the human body can handle stressors, right? So mm-hmm. you know, that could be a stress, but since they can still handle it, it's totally fine. It's certainly not 
it's not smoking cigarettes, right? right. It's, it's stress, but it might not be the worst in the world. And I think that's why I really, when I got into this, trying to figure out the health side, I, at the time, I didn't even know how to read a damn scientific paper. I just read right. stories. That's what I was looking for. And that's why we kind of do the show this way. I wanted to see people who have actually experienced this and then got bat- better. Show me those people. And that's who mm-hmm. I'll start uh, listening to and getting these ideas from. Not that this is the main point of the podcast, but to be honest, this was confusing to me because as you can tell, I'm white as mayonnaise. Uh, I wanted to <laughs> touch on this though because you brought this up. When, when you said, yeah, you said that I didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I did. But when you said the black and brown community, you estimate that it's taking even longer. Um, and forgive my ignorance with this, but like, what is happening there that's leading? I mean, that's a significantly different time frame. What is happening there that you believe is leading to that? Absolutely. There's tons of disparities in the brown and black community. The first thing I will say, a lot of it is our culture, how we are raised. I remember as a child when I complained about the pain, I came from a strong military and religious family, right? So if you're having any pain, you know, you lean into religion. If you're not getting the fix you need, then you must not just have enough faith, right? Then on the other hand, it was like, well, you're a strong barn and black woman. You don't feel pain. And that was a speech I was given from my mother. So essentially, I was already told at a young age that if it was hurting, I needed to suck it up, that I was strong. That was part of my culture. And so moving on, you always suck it up, right? I mean, people are like, oh, black women are the strongest women I know. Yes, we're strong, but it's also part of our culture. But that works against us because we're the last ones that will go get the medical care. Or on the other hand, we have all the disparities of all the dishonesty and the things that we've been through chasing the diagnosis, Um, the miseducation that even starts in medical schools that brown and black women need a lower dose of pain medication or, you know, when they're in birth, they don't really need the full epidural. And so we have these things where it's ingrained in our system and in our culture, but there's also the experience experiences that we've had. Um, And I always think for myself, like I was educated, I knew my body and I had all the alphabet soup behind my name. So it wasn't like I didn't know what I was talking about, you know, but I had to find someone that actually would believe me. And that was the biggest thing. Like I honestly diagnosed myself. I always, and I don't even say Dr. Google because back then we didn't have Dr. Google. We had baby center and MySpace, and that was as good as it got. Right. And you're like over there on AOL with dial up, literally trying to hope that the internet, everyone has to get off the phone. You've got to dial in and dial down this information. And I honestly diagnosed myself. I remember it was before we didn't, you know, we saved trees. I printed it all off. I took it into my doctor and he's like, you know what? You're kind of onto something. He's like, we hadn't thought about it. And that's honestly how I got diagnosed because if I just kept coming in and saying I had pelvic pain and period pain and you know, all of that, it was just like, oh, well, some people, you know, sex is always painful. Okay. But it's like, my bladder is on fire. I'm always feeling like pens and needles down there. And so it was very just dismissive. Um, So I think some of it comes culturally and then also just what's in the medical community. Okay, great. Thank you. Again, I know it's not the main point of today, but I wanted to touch on that. Great answer. Um, I think there's probably someone out there that heard that right now that it helps them in some way. And that's really kind of the main reason I wanted to touch on that. That that sucks. Um, I remember I interviewed my friend Autumn for a mental health thing and she's black. And she actually brought that up that when she was dealing with the worst of her mental health symptoms, you know, she was kind of brought towards religion religion now i'm a christian i think that's great so am I. Yes. yeah when we go to church on sunday our pastor actually literally they were doing an attacking anxiety series for the last four weeks they actually teach go to western medicine first right and then use the faith for all this other stuff but like don't replace uh the things that we've been given with it so i, I think hopefully the world's moving towards more of that centered message where okay 
in theory, God would have given us all this stuff, right? That's why mm-hmm. we have these cool things, the lab test, the awesome stuff that we can use. So I think, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think we can use both. So a great point there. So you mm-hmm. finally get the diagnosis. We've defined what endometriosis, endometriosis is. Wow. I never say that out loud. Um, <laughs> endometriosis. Yes. Yeah. I won't edit it. I like to be honest on here. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I never say that condition out loud. That's funny. So you start diving deep into all these other certifications and things, trying to figure out how to actually address this naturally. Uh, what, what did you discover? What did you find that helped you get to <laughs> what seems like vibrant health now? You know, and it's interesting. I'm in the middle of a virtual summit right now. And that was a question I woke up to this morning. Someone just like, it's hard to believe that you have endo. They're like, I understand that's what you, she's like, but if I didn't hear your story and see some of your Instagram posts of when you're ill, she's like, today, I wouldn't believe it. And it's like, yes, I'm on the other side, but this is what I'll say before I start talking about the changes I made. I still have to stay consistent to that. It's not like, oh, I've arrived. I no longer need vegetables. I no longer need healthy fats. I'm in the green. I'm in the gold. You know, I've moved to where endometriosis does not control me. I don't have any symptoms. The only thing, and I'm always very transparent, the only thing I still have to really stay on top of is managing the chronic inflammation and supporting my immune system. And that's really because of some of the choices I made trusting conventional medicine, allowing them to, you know, put me in medically induced menopause, being on birth control for years and messing with my gut microbiome. So it's just, you know, once again, I operated on the knowledge I had, I did the best I could now that I know better, um, you know, detoxing heavy metals and all of those things. So the biggest thing that I learned with going into like figuring out what was going deeper is the inflammation really was the issue. And I think for so long, when you're not able to go to work and you're fatigued and your face is breaking out and you're always in pain, like you just have like maybe these 10 symptoms and you're like, what can I do for these 10 symptoms? And so as I came from conventional over to more natural, it was like, okay, I'm taking these 10 prescriptions. So it was like, okay, I want to leave pharmaceutical and I want to move to natural. But what happened is, is I didn't have that foundation that we have like with FDN and all these other things where I just went from pharmaceuticals to symptoms to just appeal to every ill to a supplement for every symptom. So then I'm like, okay, these 10 meds out the door and now I maybe have 14, you know, supplements, but those supplements, it's like, am I going to be on 14 supplements for the rest of my life? Nothing wrong with that. But if you're always like, for me, I was always chronically battling, you know, candida and yeast in my gut, the eczema, the brain fog, like, yeah, the supplements were working, but I started to think there has to be something deeper. And so the other thing was, is that I realized with the chronic inflammation, that's really the driver of a lot of dis-ease, right? You know, arthritis, you know, all of these itises, bursitis, we have to realize that the itis, right, even though it's endometriosis, right, it is really chronic systemic inflammation throughout the entire body. And the game changer was for me is realizing that even though I'm going into all natural, I can't do the cookie cutter protocols, Yes, I did keto for a little bit. And that was amazing for me. It really just stopped the inflammation and it helped, but it was not something that I could do long-term. I really needed to understand what's going on with my body. Why is it when I eat fruit, I got really bloated and it would bring the yeast back. Right. And so I had to just really circling back, make some huge changes for chronic inflammation and then realize that the cookie cutter stuff was just not going to work for endometriosis. And so that's a lot of the work I do right now with my clients is looking at your nutrition. And so, yes, I think anti-inflammatory and FODMAPs and all those things can be helpful, but long-term 
they're very limiting in the foods that you can eat, right? And a lot of times with endometriosis, your body is so reactionary, right? Your IgG, IgA, everything is all over, you know, Mm -hmm. not even in nerdy terms. You're just bloated all the time. You're miserable. You don't know what you can eat. You ate it on Monday. You felt amazing. You have it on Friday and you're in a flare for two weeks. So it's figuring out like what those food triggers were. And so one of the first mistakes I made was just going to clean eating. I'm going to eat all organic. I'm going to do keto. I'm going to do paleo. And I really hopped from diet to diet. And then I had to step back and realize that I didn't really know what my food triggers were. Yes, I could choose a diet and that would work for a little while, but it didn't stop the inflammation and neither did it tell me what was driving the inflammation. So I really had to identify my food triggers. Um, The other thing too, with being so huge in fitness and wanting to work out is I really had to change my mindset. And I, women, I know how it is and I'm coming for you on this one is the whole mindset of where we're going to under eat and over exercise. And that's how we balance our hormones and that's how we stay lean. Mm -hmm. And it was just realizing that I'm not going to be able to work out two, three hours a day for the rest of my life. And even if I could, you know, like you said, you do the crazy workout and then you're in a flare for two weeks, right? Because when you have endometriosis, doing the crazy workouts and the hip, you know, CrossFit and all of that, nothing against that, but it's typically not the best when you're chronically inflamed and you're in a flare. So I had to shift my entire world, um, you know, bringing in healthy fats, leaving the scarcity mindset, leaving the mindset of living on chicken broth, you know, chicken breast and you know, broccoli six times a day to heal my hormones. It was a, it was a huge mind shift for me to bring in healthy fats. Like I, I tell people all the time, I was eating fat-free saltines, which makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I don't even know if regular saltine crackers have, you know, fat. The issue was the gluten, right? But when you come from this mindset of everything is fat-free and sugar-free, it was like, I always say it's one of the dumbest things I ever did, right? But it was the culture that I was raised in and the whole clean eating. We didn't eat sugars. We didn't eat fat. We just ate all these processed chemicals, which really just fed the toxic burden. This sounds so much, um, I won't say identical to it, but it resonates so much with the metabolic chaos concept taught at FDN, right? right? There's just so many things going on. Now this system's all a mess. This system's all a mess. Who even knows what the exact root cause was? I love that you brought up inflammation. I think that's, my gosh, mm-hmm. many things there that's fair enough. But what's causing the inflammation? There's probably mm-hmm. like 20 different things, especially I had no idea. I understand that it was an estimate, but I had no idea that it was even estimated to be this prevalent Uh, because it's interesting. You do a podcast like this. And in the beginning, I remember this was so ignorant. I'm like, we're going to run out of conditions to talk about. And like every day, every day, there's something new. We're 270 episodes in. We've never talked about this. It's not like it's an unheard of condition by any means, you know, that the audience isn't aware of, but um, even in my radar, it's not something that I've heard about nearly enough. So I'm interested in how this all plays into this functional side. So One thing that you also mentioned that's really worth kind of diving a bit deeper into, you talked about how just because you got to a better place with this, you still have to have this maintenance. And I think there's this fine line, and correct me if I'm wrong in your case, but what happens is when you start adjusting the things in your lifestyle, you do get better and you might actually find that you can, I hate, I hate using this word, but you could cheat a little more or go Mm -hmm. off course with some of the normal things, but you can't go back to your old lifestyle because that led to the symptoms. So are you suggesting that, yes, you've healed. Yes, you have way more flexibility than you would have had maybe 10 years ago, but you got to live differently. Otherwise, you're just going to get back to where you were at. It truly is a lifestyle change. And I think this is important for anyone that maybe has endometriosis because this is one of the big conversations that there technically is no cure. 
you know, if you look into research or, you know, all of these diseases, there's no medication or anything that's going to cure endo. So many will either grab onto that mindset and be like, well, I'm just going to be miserable forever. It just is how it is. And then there's others of us that are like, okay, this is a diagnosis. Number one, I'm not defined by the diagnosis. Number two, if I make lifestyle changes, I can have quality of life. And so what happens is you want to make the changes, right? We do the nine, 90 day challenge. We do the six month, whatever, you know, we do the programs and then it's so interesting. Yes. Like you said, people want to cheat. Well, when can I go back to the dairy? When can I, you can go back whenever you want, but to maintain the level of quality of life that you have, you have to make lifestyle changes. And even in endometriosis community, having the golden standard surgery, which is excision, where they actually go in and remove the lesions, even the excision surgeons, the top surgeons will tell you, you have to make lifestyle changes. Oh, well, right. Okay, because that surgery is only going to remove the lesions that are present that day. It's not going to remove anything that comes up in 10 years. And there are a lot of people that don't make the lifestyle changes and they're always having the same surgery. And that's the golden standard to have it removed. So it begs us to differ and really go back to, okay, surgery can always be an option and part of your healing journey. We're not demonizing it. However, the lifestyle changes truly have to be lifestyle changes. Yes, I can have a little more flexibility. If I wanted to have gluten, I could, you know, but I know that gluten is essentially glue inside of my digestive tract and it doesn't really work for me. But if I'm to get a little piece of gluten, you know, now, okay, maybe it'll just irritate. Actually, for me, it really just gives me more brain fog. It doesn't really hit yeah. my digestive tract. It's just that gut brain connection versus before I could maybe be stuck on mattress island for two or three weeks, like legit gluten would just take me out. And I'd be down for the count. So yes, I've gotten better to where I could bring it in. But do I really want to go back to that? And I think this is where people are like, well, it's, you know, it's the holidays. Like, you know, the holidays are coming. It's the holidays. I want to enjoy this that, and the other. I do too. But the one thing that reminds me is what about that Thanksgiving that I decided to verge out and do whatever. And when everyone else got to go shopping and do this, that, and the other, I was stuck on the couch for two weeks. I was ill, right? I didn't make the right choices you know, okay, yeah, I want to have fun and I want to skip my daily exercise. But for me, exercising really is a big part of keeping my lymphatic system going, my drainage pathways open. There's nothing worth it, worse than being congested and having all that inflammation. So I think we have to really focus on our why. And then even with lifestyle changes that are negative, right? Not to call people out, but people that vape and smoke cigarettes, Let's be honest, they're pretty dedicated to that. <laughs> you know, they're not going to miss a day. And I feel we have to have that same level of, edu you know, dedication and education because we're worth it. And I think in the chronic illness community, when I find someone that's struggling with that, it's really like, yeah, you may have the foundation, but we have to work on that mental health and that mindset part. Because at the end of the day, if you truly felt you were worth it, you wouldn't want to go back. I always say on this show, because it's just lived experience, it's not like mm -hmm. wisdom that I got out of nowhere, it's like this happened. These health journeys, uh, journeys with the chronic illness, right? If you have one little mm -hmm. minor symptom and you can throw a Band-Aid on it, a little different. But this kind of stuff, this is a personal development journey with health changes as the vehicle. It's totally a personal development journey. I have never met someone that has gotten to the place that they're like comfortable with, with their disease conditions or gotten healthier, that has not changed financially they've changed mm -hmm. in their relationships it's everything because think about what you have to do first of all you have to beat your old self like um not that it's a competition in that sense but for the sake of the analogy like you're beating your old self you're almost competing mm -hmm. with these old habits but then you have to decide what your environment's like because it's pretty damn hard to do this stuff if you're not around 
anyone in your life who is making these changes. So you probably add in some new friends or you're part of some new Facebook groups, whatever it might be. Um, so I, I love that because I, I totally 100% agree that this is a personal development type of thing. I also, on a side note, got to say, I we try to bring on very experienced speakers like yourself. And then also we'll bring on FDNs that have never done a podcast. That's kind of um, one of the catches of our show. We have that mm-hmm. mix. But I will say one of the nice things about talking to an experienced speaker your one-liners crack me up. I love Mattress Island, Gluten's Like Glue, Alphabet Soup behind my name. Like you just, you've done them a hundred times. It's like, holy crap, this is awesome. So. But it truly is. And I'm calling myself out. Recently, I took my friend to Surf to Soleil and, you know, I got hungry and there's really, you know, like there's nothing to eat. It was either a pretzel or, you know, nachos. And I'm like, oh, I don't do corn and, you know, cheese. So I was like, oh, I'll do the gluten. Moving forward, I'll cave in. And, oh, that gluten, it was 24 hours. My brain didn't work. I was bloated. Like, it's those reminders that the next time I come across gluten, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I'll just... I'll just tough it out. I'll be all right. <laughs> yes. Yes. And this is where both parties, uh, both groups, if you will, need to have respect for both sides. Like we have yeah. our friends and family members that aren't into this that judge us. No, you shouldn't be doing that. At the same time, one thing I always am constantly reminding myself of, because it, it can be very tough when you get into this space and now you get all these answers and you want to go save everyone almost. Right. You're like, I want to tell the friends and family, shout it from the rooftop. Guys, no matter how into functional medicine you are, unfortunately, we all pass away one day. That's going to happen. You might have a better quality of life, extended life. In the grand mm-hmm. scheme, you're here for a short amount of time, in my opinion. And so with that said, I think we need to be respectful to people's choices. My grandma, God bless her. She's 76, 77 now. Uh, she has, well, I think, no, I know she would let me say this. So she has a thing going on where every morning you know, needs to use the bathroom, can't do long trips because of it or whatever. And I let her know the one day, because I wanted her to go on this trip with us. It was a road trip. I'm like, grandma, like, you know, I can give you stuff for this. We can help out with all these things, whatever. And she's like, Ev, she's like, because my grandfather passed away several years ago. She built a beautiful family, has had a good life. She's like, Ev, I just want to enjoy my hoagie. I want to drink my wine at night. Like I'm 76. (laughs) Mm -hmm. She has every right to feel that way though. She's smart. She knows the answers. She can make an independent decision for herself. I don't need to coach my grandmother. She's like, I I just want to be left alone. Like if this is my biggest trade-off to get to eat my hoagies and drink my wine, I mean, God bless her, right? So be it. Like that's that's your personal choice. I just want everyone to have that choice. One thing I got to ask, speaking of choices, is, you know, you went in, you kind of get the diagnosis and then I think you described it as like birth control and pain pills is basically what they'd give you. So hopefully the labs and all these other natural modalities open up a lot of uh, additional choices for people. So how are the labs a part of your work now? You went through FDN and all these other things. Like, Mm -hmm. are you running standard labs on every single person? Is it a little different each time? I'd love to hear about this. So I have all the labs available, but I don't do cookie cutter coaching. And that's what really sets me apart. I definitely look into the hormones. I love the Dutch test, the dried urine. Um, I definitely love going to the GI map. I call it pooping for science, as Dr. Heary would say. Um, it's huge, right? You need to be able to test rather than guess. However, with endometriosis, every single patient is so unique, right? Their inflammation and their inflammatory markers are going to show up very different. Um, So there are certain labs that I do. The one thing that I have been doing that most people don't really focus on is really looking at that toxicity level, right? What's coming out of that toxin bucket? What's overflowing? Because I'm starting to see a huge correlation when we have endometriosis and people that are also dealing with fibroids, where their body is essentially wrapping toxins and hormones and creating these fibroids. And we have to start looking more at like their childhood, where they were raised, their toxic exposure, the toxins that they're taking in currently. Um, So everyone's testing is a little bit different, but definitely when they're having a huge issue with 
your hormones. And not everyone's estrogen dominant. Not everyone has a hormone issue. Um, but recently, I guess, great example. Um, we had someone and she's like, I know it's my hormones. I know it's my hormones. So I'm like, okay, we'll go straight for that test. Hormones were perfectly fine. And then <laughs> as we're looking at the hormones, we're like, yeah, but these markers, these hormones are telling us there's something going on as far as yeast and bacteria do that. That's where it all was. Right. So that's why I'm like, it's very interesting. I have the way I want to do it, but sometimes I'm like, okay, if you just want to do this, you know, I'm not going to be pushy. Like you said, we have the answers. I'm just there to coach, lead and guide. And sure enough, it was like in the GI map, it was like the yeast and the fungus and the parasites and all of these things. Um, it's very funny too, as far as like testing, I think it's interesting and I have to really be how do I put it? There's a certain way to go about bringing up testing with endo warriors, as they call themselves. I'm more about the endo conquer, and that's a whole nother story because for me, and I'll just go into it really quickly, an endo warrior is someone that's fighting with their body 24-7. You're always at war. My goal is to take you from endo warrior, where you're not waking up every morning warring with your stomach, you're this, you're that, to take you to endo conquer. Endo conquer is someone that still has the diagnosis, right? But I have a toolbox full of tools so that when I'm going throughout my day, I have the tool to take care of the fatigue. I have more of the root cause information. So as I said, the term endo warrior, because that's what they refer to themselves. The goal is really for everyone to come from endo warrior to conquer. But when it comes to testing, I have to go about it the correct way because most people with endometriosis, they've already had a bunch of testing. They've already had a bunch of you know probing and prodding. So it's really letting them know what makes the dried urine test different than the blood test that they took, you know, two days ago at their doctor's office when he didn't even ask them what day they were on their cycle, you know, to let them know that, you know, functional stool testing is a lot different than conventional and really breaking it down. So I really, really educate the people I work with as well. I think anyone can kind of go through and be like, okay, here's your results. But I want them to know the why because two years from now, and that's something huge with FDN as well, right? Two years from now, five years from now, we want them to have that foundation. And if they have to come back to us, we're always there. But I really spend a lot of time with the education piece as far as like, what testing is really needed. And I like to know what testing they've already done so that we can do that comparison. Beautiful. Reed always says, right, we don't want a revolving door practice. And mm -hmm. th for those that don't get that, that means, you know, you're constantly running through the revolving door back to us uh, for more help. That That's not what this is. Um, mm -hmm. This is supposed to be a place where we are educating the masses. That's really his goal and his vision. If you talk to him, it's like he wants the world to be completely different, have access to the labs, educated enough to maintain their own health. And that doesn't mean that everyone's going to be on an FDN's level or certainly your level, but you know, you don't need to necessarily be on this level to maintain your health. Once you have the right tools, right. this at a certain point, it just gets nerdy and fun half the time, right? You're like, yeah. I might not even ever use that, but it was kind of cool that I can rattle off the study. Uh, we can get people to a certain place, even lay people that have different careers, they can get to a certain place where their health can be maintained. And so I understand now that you don't take a cookie cutter approach with the labs. Obviously, like you said, you like the Dutch and GI map in particular. I'm always curious whenever I get someone on that has a very honed in and focused um, niche, which clearly you do. Are there certain patterns that you're seeing uh, in these women with this condition? You already mentioned estrogen dominance. Obviously, that's, that's kind of typical with a lot of stuff that uh, people show up with. So are there anything like things that are maybe unique marker wise that come up. You're like a lot of people with endo have this thing, maybe not, but I'm, I'm wondering. Yeah. So the, definitely the chronic inflammation, those GI markers, you know, the Dutch markers, but what I'm also seeing is, and I talk about this a ton on my podcast. I think once the endometriosis diagnosis is there, anything that happens gets swept under the endo rug. 
right? If your back hurts, it's my endo. Your toe hurts, it's my endo. The wind blows and you feel some kind of way, it's your endo. And it's like, not, not necessarily. Yes, you have endometriosis, but you're living in a home full of mold. That's why you feel worse in the summer because the air conditioner is blowing mold all over your body. I see there's a huge thing with our immune systems and we are more sensitive to air quality issues. May it be mold, mildew, gram negative bacteria. I'm seeing a lot of patients deal with mold. A lot of patients deal with overwhelming amounts of yeast. And the other thing as we're going into a full moon is the parasites and the pathogens. You know, That's they're, real, they're by the chasing. Way, folks. That is real. <laughs> Absolutely, right? And not all parasites are like creepy crawlies all over your body. They can show up in so many different ways. But what I'm starting to see is a lot of sensitivities, the autoimmune part, the immune system. They just, they're just super sensitive to the air quality, um, lots of parasites and pathogens, and just that chronic systemic inflammation. Yeah. I never, um, I didn't mean to cut off by any means. The reason I said that's real, folks, is because. You know, it's funny because you can listen to someone like you and you're like, awesome, science, science, science. And then that throws people off. I'm like, guys, the tides change with the, <laughs> like, you don't think something can happen inside their ocean's kind of big. I don't know if you looked at it recently. So I just, I think I was the person who thought that was far out when I heard it first, like years ago. And then first of all, there is stuff to back it up. But outside of that, it's like, clearly it has effects on things in our environment that is much greater than, um, you know, us. So right. I don't think that's the craziest thing in the world. So really interesting though, um, to see that this is happening with people, because again, I didn't understand before today, how many symptoms and how many areas or how many symptoms there could be and how many areas could be affected of one's body with this condition. So of course this displays itself almost like what we would call again, this metabolic chaos. And if you don't have that paradigm with it, and now you just have the diagnosis, there could be all these other warning signs going on. And yeah, you're constantly writing it off, I guess, to this condition. So uh, maybe that's why so many people just continue to add this on. And like you said, I mean, it's a lot of people that potentially could have or have this or meet the diagnostic criteria for it. Well, it's like, well, duh, once they get it, maybe that's bittersweet sometimes getting the diagnosis. Because even you said in the beginning, now that you got the diagnosis, it's like, well, what the hell did Western medicine really offer. Um, right. I now guess, what? Like you said, it's pills or surgery eventually. That's about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. I mean, there is a lot of the misconceptions out there. I guess we'll cover some of the misconceptions. Sure. Um, you know, as I said, there is no cure for endometriosis as far as conventional medicine. You do have birth control, which can help regulate your period, but turning off your period is not going to turn off endometriosis. Um, you know, just because you go into menopause, may it be naturally or medically induced, that does not turn off the endometriosis lesions. There's misconceptions out there like, oh, just have a baby. That's what I was told. Have a baby. It'll stretch everything out. And I'm like, you know, okay. You know, and not that I had my children to get rid of endo, but I'm like, I'm two children deep. How many am I supposed to have? Like, when does this kick in? You know, like help me. Exactly. I'm like, I need you to help me because the math is not mathing here. Help me out. And it was like, oh, well, yeah, but it doesn't really work for everyone. So there's the misconceptions that are floating around out there. So despite, this is what I will kind of end with, no matter what your diagnosis is, you have to believe that you are greater than that diagnosis and don't let the diagnosis define you. But you also need to know that you deserve quality of life. It's just going to look different than everyone else's, right? My morning routine is different than Evan's, which is going to be different than someone else's. And that's fine. We are doing what we need to do, right? So that we can have quality of life. And it's really about putting the tools in there, whether or not you choose surgery 
even if you do the golden standard, which is excision surgery, you still have to make lifestyle changes. Excision surgery is not going to balance your hormones. Excision surgery is not going to, you know, turn off all of the lesions and, you know, whatever is left. Excision surgery is not going to make everything better. It's just going to kind of push you forward, but you still have to make those daily actions to really, you know, the genes and everything going on may pull the trigger or load the gun. But those daily actions, I hate to say, is like what's going to be pulling the trigger and pointing you in that right direction. Yeah, it's like anything. These are these are warning signs. And I, I always say, if you don't act on these warning signs, given enough time and given certain genetics, it's mm-hmm. going to manifest as something else. My mom, cystic acne in her 20s. I had it even earlier in my teens, right? But my mom took Accutane. Totally understandable. I get that. But then it's Graves disease at 40. And mm-hmm. then it's other autoimmune diseases. And thank God she's doing much better now. But I, I started to connect this where I'm like, huh, you know, my grandmother was sick, but she got sick in like her 30s. Doesn't do anything about it. My mom's sick, but she's sick in like her 20s. And I'm sick, but I'm sick actually even before the age of 10. It's almost like it just gets worse and worse until maybe, you know, you become infertile. Things don't work. I, I don't know. This mm-hmm. is getting anecdotal and theoretical now. But I kind of just realized, oh, if I don't do something about this warning sign, it could be endo, could be cystic acne, could be mental health issues or whatever. Given enough time and enough life on this earth, it's probably going to show up as something else that uh, might be a bigger punch than whatever I'm dealing with right now. So I totally love that message. Obviously, today, we are just scratching the surface. Uh, It has been fantastic having you on. So you're involved in a summit. You already mentioned your podcast. I'd love to know, like, specifically, where can people find you for these things if they want to dive deeper into this topic? Absolutely. So we do have the summit going on right now. It is Endo Unlocked. It's a virtual summit. It is September 25th through October 4th. 10 days full of functional health. We have MDs, medical doctors, naturopaths, board certified coaches, lots of amazing speakers. As I always say, to put you in the driver's seat, right? Like, yes, you may have endometriosis, but what do you do about holistic healthcare and acne, you know, pain? We talk about hysterectomy. So all of these things that kind of come in to play with your womb wellness and endometriosis health. I also have a podcast, which is the Holistic Endo Expert Podcast. I'm holistic with a W. All things endo, all things functional health and women's health. Um, You can also find me at ljspowerhouse.org. And I love to spend time on Instagram. It's probably one of my favorites. Um, And on Instagram is the holistic endo expert as well. Beautiful. Of course, in the show notes, as you guys know. And then um, if you want Dr. LJ back, let me know because I have a strong feeling this is going to be one of those ones where they're like, okay, we cannot just spend half the time on the story for her. Like we got to dive into her brain there. Um, yeah, so that that's my fault. But if anything, it's a great excuse to have you back. So you guys Absolutely. let me know, shoot us a message on Instagram at FDN training, best way to reach us. And uh, we do, we bring people back if there's demand for it. And I, I will take my bets that there's going to be some demand for it. I'm Dr. down for it. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Final question for you. It's the signature question on the show. I'm a little more general. uh, So it's not just about endo, definitely more general health now. The question is, if we could give you a magic wand and you could wave it and get every single person in this world to either start doing one thing for their health, or you can get us all stop doing one thing. What is the one thing that you'd get us to do? I would get people to prioritize decreasing their stress. Because stress is a driver for a lot of disease and a lot of inflammation. And if there's only one thing you could do, may it be grounding, may it be yoga, maybe it's just sitting five minutes and just inhale and exhale with some really great essential oils, decreasing your stress can be a huge impact on your health. Huge. Always, this happens so consistently. It's always the people that are so clearly beyond intelligent, beyond well-versed that have seemingly 
the simplest answers with that. And I hope people understand that there's nothing simple about that answer. That's why this is someone this well-versed and that's your response to the one thing you'd get people to do. I think it's so easy to get fancy with the supplements and the labs, all wonderful things. We love them. But if you're forgetting the basics, stop, don't waste your money. Literally don't waste your money. Get the foundational stuff on track first and then add it on. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Thank you. 